going to ask um, Dave to come up and just read just a few verses. We're in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 37, so you can find it in your Bibles. Acts 4, verse 23 through to 37. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretched out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with, with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands, of houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of, of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Thanks, Dave. Well, you'd imagine for a moment that you have just been a Christian for only a few days. And Peter and John have just walked into the room and they've reported the threats of the religious and the cultural leaders that they've been making. They've been told they need to stop talking about Jesus. Don't mention his name again or else. How are you going to feel? Are you going to feel scared? Maybe angry? Or would you begin to think, you know, is this really all worth it? All this talk about Jesus, is he really worth going to get into so much trouble over? For this young church, persecution was a real possibility. How will they respond? It's very easy for us to have sort of a knee-jerk reaction to difficult situations. We get angry. We think we'll just run away from it. But look how this young church, this young, these young Christians respond in verse 24. Their knee-jerk response to the news of persecution is to raise their voices together in prayer to God. And surprisingly, their prayer starts by praising God for being in complete and utter control of everything. They address God as sovereign Lord. 
the God who is in control of all things, and yet at face value, looking at what's going on, God does not seem to be in control. Now, this may just be a fledgling church, but they strongly believe in the sovereignty of God and his perfect plan for all of his people. And they also know that this does not remove their own responsibility as well because it's very clear in these verses that they are very active in their witness, they're very active in prayer, and yet at the same time they understand that God was in complete control. I like what Augustine, how Augustine puts it. He says this, pray as though everything depends on God and work as though everything depends on you. And trusting in the sovereignty of God should not stop us working for God. In fact, instead, it should be a tremendous encouragement to us to keep serving him even even in the most difficult and trying of situations. It's annoying me. But there's a second way in which they approached God. They approached him as creator. You think about it. If your father is Lord of heaven and earth, what have you got to fear? See, they're they're able to pray with confidence because they know that their authority comes from the sovereign, but also the creator God. And they know that they have been given access to this God, to this father God through his son, Jesus Christ. And we need to know this. We need to know that our confidence, we need to know that our authority is based on the finished work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And this authority is complete in you as long as you live in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, just like Peter and John, we are in a spiritual battle and the attack against them was voiced by religious leaders, but it was Satan who really wants to silence them. And the real attack is so often that unseen spiritual attack. And that is why they pray the way in which they pray. That's why they affirm their authority in God. I want to let you into a little secret this morning. In fact, a secret that should never even be a secret. Satan knows about your authority in Christ. And he is hoping that you will stay ignorant of it. And you need to exercise the authority that is yours in Jesus' name. So this morning, I want to share six ways to exercise the authority that is yours in Christ through prayer. This is spiritual warfare for every Christian. There are no opt-out clauses. First is this. The word of God is warfare. The best way to exercise your authority is to use the word of God. So in Ephesians chapter 6, 17, we are told, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is not just another book. It is a sword. It is sharp. It has got two edges and it's got a powerful effect against the enemy and you must use it. In the same way that Jesus used the word of God in the wilderness to combat Satan, so we must use scripture as a mighty weapon. We can use verses like 1 John 3 verse 8. The reason the Son of God, in other words, the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, speaking about Jesus, it said, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seal because you were slain and with your blood was purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Listen, God's word is one of the most powerful weapons that you have, so use it and use it well. Remind Satan that he is defeated. And we see this young church do exactly that. Their prayer is based solidly on the word of God. For them, they use Psalm 2. Now, Psalm 2 originates, originally grew out of the crowning of a new king of Israel, perhaps King David, most likely King David, but we can't be completely sure. But in those days, whenever a new king is enthroned, the other rulers around were required to come and to submit to him. But some of them refused. But in Psalm 2, God's response to this revolt is included. And it says that he literally laughed at them. Why? Because he knows that they could never stand up against his king. So this early church, they applied the message of the psalm into their own situation. For them, their adversaries are identified as Herod, Pilate, the Romans, the Jews. And even though these enemies have ganged up against Jesus Christ and have crucified him, yet God raised him from the dead and enthroned him in heaven. So nothing has happened to Jesus and therefore nothing that's happened to these believers is a surprise. Scripture has predicted all of these things would happen. In fact, for them, it was a privilege to be witnessing the unfolding of these events. See, when you know who God is, and when you know that God speaks through his word, you don't panic, you don't think that everything's out of control or that, that, that everything's going to go wrong. Instead, you can rest assured that God is at work. And the word of God and prayer always go together. Because true prayer is not telling God what to do, but asking God to do his will in us and through us. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15. Prayer means getting God's will, sorry, prayer doesn't mean getting God's will done on earth. Sorry, let's go again. <laughs> Got that badly wrong. <laughs> prayer means, definitely means, getting God's will done on earth, not man's will done in heaven. And your authority to stand against the enemy is found in the word of God. The second thing, it's found in the name of Jesus. I mentioned already that Psalm 2 is talking about a king. 
Well, actually, it's ultimately pointing to the king of kings. It's actually pointing to Jesus Christ. And the risen Jesus is the one who has absolute authority. His precious name is powerful. So when you pray, you pray in Jesus' name. And in his name, take authority over the enemy. However, to use Jesus' name with authority, you need to be completely submitted to Jesus. You need to know him as Lord of your life. But you also need to understand what happens when demonic, among demonic powers when you, knew, when you use Jesus' name. See, if you think that it's just some sort of magic word, well, you've, you're completely misunderstood. But his name represents the same Jesus who made demons cry out in terror and be cast into a herd of pigs. It's the same name that caused the sick to be healed, for the dead even to be raised. The name of Jesus given to you to be used by the victorious resurrected son himself. Mark chapter 16, 17 says, in my name, it's the words of Jesus, in my name they will cast out demons. The name of Jesus carries with it all power and all the victory of the cross and the resurrection. The name of Jesus is a weapon that we must use. But linked into Jesus' name is the blood of Jesus. And the third way that you exercise authority is to remind Satan of the blood of Jesus Christ. Revelations 12, 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of his testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So listen, remind Satan that he is defeated at the cross when his precious blood that he shed was poured out for the atonement of sin. Listen, it was there that the curse and the enemy's hold over mankind was completely reversed. The declaration of the blood of Jesus has a powerful effect on the enemy. It defeats the work of darkness in every situation, but you need to apply it and reapply it every time in every place. Listen, there really is power in the blood. Wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Fourth thing is this. To stand in authority is to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. In John 20, 22, when Jesus breathed on his disciples, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He, at that moment, gave them the first legal authority of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is essential if you are to stand in authority, which is why Jesus told the disciples at the beginning of the book of Acts to wait in Jerusalem. Why? We know, don't, don't we? So that they could receive power. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. This power gives them the ability to carry out the authority that was already theirs in Christ and so it is for us. The Holy Spirit is the power. Matthew 12, 28, Jesus said, but it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. Now listen, if Jesus did that in the power of the Spirit, guess what? How much more do we need to be praying at all times in the Spirit in order to drive back and to break down the powers of the enemy? I think perhaps one of the most shocking 
things or features about the prayer that these young Christians were praying in Acts chapter 4 is that they didn't ask God to spare them from further confrontation or even from suffering. What are they thinking? If I'd been there, I'd been praying, God, let's just stop all this stuff. I, don't, I, don't, I can't deal with this pressure any longer. Just, just take it all away. Why don't they ask for the persecution to stop? Why do they ask instead for the power to speak faithfully and confidently as they suffer? You see, they don't... They, want divine power, not escapism. They don't ask for protection, they ask for the spirit. They don't don't ask for fire from heaven to destroy their enemies, they ask for divine fire to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. So they pray for great boldness. They ask for signs, for wonders, for miracles. Effectively what they're saying is, come on, bring it on. We're ready, bring it on. The greatest concentration of power in Jerusalem that day was found in this prayer meeting. There's a sense of urgency, a sense of danger because that meeting was born out of witnessing. It was born out of service for God. And it just got me thinking, perhaps, perhaps if we spent more time witnessing for Christ, Would there be more urgency? Would there be greater blessing in our meetings, greater blessing in our lives? Just a thought. Philip Brooks wrote, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be strong men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. And this was the way the young, this young early church was praying. They asked God to work powerfully in them and among them. And it's remarkable, instead of the persecution causing this church to go into a shell or to hide away or even run away, it inspired the church to get out into the world and to speak out all the more. And guess what? Their prayer was answered. Dramatically answered. There was a rumbling a demonstration of God right in the midst of them. And such an event just simply bears testimony to the awesome power of God. God's spirit was at work. This is not another, this is not another Pentecost. It was a new filling of the Holy Spirit, a fresh equipping of the believers. Holy Spirit power to serve the Lord, to minister to the people, to stand against anything the enemy could throw at them. Listen, God's not changed. Same Holy Spirit is at work today as it was back in that day. We be praying similar prayers, do we not? In the book of Acts, Every time persecution comes, the church responds by God's grace with undaunted gospel proclamation. And such boldness is a sign of an authentic church. The sovereignty of God is not some abstract theology. It is the living truth that we depend on and act on for our every needs. And this begins and ends with our loyalty to the Lord and our obedience to put him first in our lives. The Holy Spirit has not lost his power. 
but many of God's people have lost their power and their authority because they have stopped praying to the sovereign Lord. Dr. R.A. Torrey said, pray for great things. Expect great things. Work for great things. But above all, pray. Pray. It is believing prayer that will release God's power. And you should pray with the same boldness and the same confidence in God's sovereignty. See, when you bend your knee to this glorious truth and you recognize that God is meticulously involved in every aspect of creation and in every part of our lives, you will understand that, you'll understand that God is never caught off guard or surprised by the actions of people. So let's start praying these sort of ambitious prayers that these young Christians were praying. Expect God to answer your prayers the way he answered their prayers. And you need to be filled with the Spirit. To be equipped, fresh filling of the Holy Spirit today. And then tomorrow, and then the day after that as well, we need to be living in the Spirit, walking in step with the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? Well, we ask. We just ask. Ask for yourself. Ask for our church. But pray, pray. The fifth way to exercise the authority that is ours in Christ is to stand strong, is to live together in a God-given spiritual unity. See, the church is an organism and it's held together by life. And that life, as we've seen already, comes through the Holy Spirit. Of course, church must be organized, but when organization starts to hinder spiritual life and ministry, then the church becomes, well, just another religious institution that exists to try and keep itself going. However, when the Spirit is at work, God's people will be united in fellowship, in giving, in worship, but listen, there's one thing that Satan wants to do. In fact, one of his most successful ploys is to cause division because division in the church will always hinder prayer and it will rob the church of its spiritual power. So what is unity? What's it look like? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not pursuing unity by dismissing doctrinal distinctives or by trying to smooth over some of the rough edges of the gospel message or compromising in biblical truth. You can do these things and you can build some sort of semblance or at least appearance of unity, but it does not reflect biblical model of church unity because biblical unity is built around sound doctrine and the clear teaching of God's word. Unity must put truth first. But also unity is not a feeling. It is deeply practical. The church life is not cloaked in mystery or some sort of, or hidden deep in some sort of secret club. In this early church, everybody, and I mean everybody, knew what was going on. These guys got noticed. They're marked by the spirit of generosity, which meant they loved each other. They cared with compassion for one another and for the needy. Remember back to Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, it said the believers had everything in common and gave to everyone in need. 
However, in chapter 4, we see the extent to which this is happening. It wasn't just some random act of kindness. This was normal behavior for everybody within the church. So don't miss the magnitude of what is going on here. Christians shared everything. They didn't consider anything to be mine, but everything as ours. Christians sold their houses so that they, there would be no one in the church who was in need. Now, there's no suggestion that all of the believers sold all that they had and give everything into the apostles. Acts chapter 4, 34 indicates that some of the members from time to time sold various pieces of property and donated it to the common treasury. When the church had a need, the Holy Spirit directed someone to sell something in order to meet that need. And I wonder... Would you or I ever do anything to that extent? Would we? It would be incredible to see. It would be a powerful witness. So what would move us to stop thinking of things as mine, of ring-fencing our houses, or ring-fencing our pension plans, and so on? For For the early church, it was understanding and relying on God's generous grace and on the gospel that produced this radical generosity that everything they had, they felt belonged to God. So what's changed Well, it's not God's generous grace, and it's not the gospel. So how can we better stand together in unity in 2019? What do we need to change? Perhaps a better question. What needs to change in you and in me? Something to ponder. But I want you to note, being generous and caring for one another goes hand in hand with the mission of spreading the good news about Jesus. See, when when God's people stand together in Christ, they not only preach the gospel, but they live it out. They exercise their God-given authority. And listen, communities were radically changed. Lives were transformed And Satan had to flee. God was working by his spirit through his people. The last way to exercise the authority that is yours through Jesus is by the word of your testimony. In verse 33 it says, they continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this could mean a couple of things. It certainly means the declaration of great work and the character of God. It is the proclamation of the gospel. This is evangelism. It's it's calling people to be saved. It's pointing people towards the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, tell the truth. Tell the truth of Jesus. To everybody you may tell them to your friends, your family, tell the truth. See, the devil is a liar, and his most common lies are to say that God can't be trusted, or that he doesn't exist, or that God doesn't really care for you. You defeat those lies by testifying to what God has said. 
and about how God acts and moves and what his real character is like. Declare the great and the wonderful things he's done for you. Proclaim the mighty deeds and the works of God to yourself, but also to one another. But actually, you need to begin with your own heart. Be honest and open. You need to bring what is in darkness into the light. And the Bible calls this repentance. It's a heartfelt sorrow over sin. See, there is no room for pretending. Be honest with yourself and with others. The work of the enemy can only function in darkness, in deception, and in hypocrisy. So when, you open, when you're open, when you proclaim the truth, when you share what's really on your heart and your needs with others, it breaks the control of the enemy. And it's so important that you walk in the light and in truth. And there are stories of people being set free and, and, and even healed just by honestly declaring what's really on their hearts. And it's so important, however, that we stay balanced in all of this. See, it's not just about negative things. It's also equally as important to speak out the positive. So you must proclaim the positive truths about yourself, who you are in Christ. Declare to the enemy the truth of your life in Jesus. Proclaim, I am washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I am a new creation. I am more than a conqueror. I am accepted as the bride of Christ. And your testimony really is a mighty weapon. It reminds Satan and reminds yourself that he is defeated. It cuts through and it shatters the, the intimidation and the accusations of the enemy and it gives you confidence to keep exercising your God-given authority. But your testimony is also a powerful weapon in the proclamation of the gospel in telling your friends about Jesus. Tell people what God has done for you. Pray that the Holy Spirit would use your words mightily. But do not underestimate the strength of your testimony in seeing people saved. Speak with Holy Spirit-empowered boldness. I've been chatting with Dave this week, and God's been doing some interesting stuff in Dave's life and just using him in some of these areas. I'm going to invite Dave up just to share some thoughts, if that's okay. So the reason why I just did that is because... God has been teaching me that I am not to be afraid of people. I am not to be worried what people think. And I am to be utterly, and I mean utterly, dependent on God. I'm going to share a bit what the Lord's put on my heart. Keith told me to share. I prayed about it. And the Lord was specific because, as Andy said, God is good. He wants to give us wisdom. I sometimes approach God like, God, give me wisdom. God wants to give you wisdom. God wants to give you freedom. God wants to give you deliverance. God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. God wants you to flourish. And it's amazing how our thinking can be out of line with that truth. Mine has for a long time. A long, long time. So I did that because, yeah, I'm dependent on God. Is that to say every person that speaks needs to do that? No, it become a crazy religious tradition. It was just symbolic. That's God said, do it. You're to do it. You're to show people. You're not afraid. It's a demonstration of what needs to happen. So that, that's why I did that. 
The first thing the Lord spoke about was fear. Lisa spoke about it prophetically in the congregation, about fear and the need to repent of fear. And I thought about this and I pondered this and I asked the Lord for wisdom on this. And as I prayed, the Lord showed me that yes, when fear hinders us, we are to repent and confess. We're to seek to overcome fear by the boldness and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the things I've been doing, confessing my sins to my brothers and sisters in Christ and seeking boldness to overcome fear. If you struggle with fear, God can do it in your life. The second thing that the Lord showed me was when a Christian goes to do a work for God, and it might be anything, it might be just to hug someone or preach the gospel, the enemy launches a counteractive attack upon that Christian and all of a sudden that Christian will feel very uneasy and even afraid and uncertain. Many of us probably have experienced that, right? Doubt, confusion, all of that. The first time I preached the gospel, I came under tremendous demonic attack on the way and I was praying in tongues, I was praying to God, I was asking others to pray and no matter what I did, it wouldn't lift. And the word is stand firm in the face of demonic attack. It was only when my feet touched the pulpit that the Holy Spirit dropped and I had boldness and calmness and peace to be able to preach what God put on my heart. Only then I had to stand firm in the face of, of that demonic attack. What an excellent preach and what an excellent body we're in, a word and spirit church. The, the unity in spirit is amazing. Like a lot of this has already been shared in one way or another. The third thing the Lord put on my heart is that fear is also a spirit. Now, we're not to get paranoid and suspicious. The flesh is prone to fear. It's prone to doubt. It's prone to confusion. Why, do, why is it written so many times in the Bible that we're not to be afraid and to trust God? Because we are prone to doubt. We are prone to fear. Even today, after a crazy, amazing couple of weeks with the Lord, I was prone to fear, prone to doubt, and had to trust, trust in God. But the spirit of fear, if it's a problem, we have authority in Christ to drive that spirit out in the name of Jesus. It's happened to me. One was driven out of me and I was freed from I'll call what I'll call unnatural levels of fear. You know, you have fear in the flesh and then there's a spirit of fear. So that's what the Lord put on my heart with fear. Now this is breakthrough. How did breakthrough come in my life? It's not just one thing. It's utterly surrendering to God like Keith has already said. What an excellent preach outlining how we are to attain the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the word. So all surrender to God, confessing sins to my brothers in Christ in a small group so that I may be healed. That came about. Certain stubborn sins that plagued me. God delivered me from alcoholism, mental health problems, but other sins plagued me. And when I confessed my sins to my brothers in Christ, God delivered me from those stubborn sins. And I testify to the name of Jesus. So <laughs> I'm in shock. I'm in awe of God. Another thing was prayer. Holy Spirit, please help me to get up in the morning and pray. I so struggled to get out of, the, out of bed and pray and spend time in the Word. It was so hard and it took such a long time for breakthrough to come. But the Holy Spirit will help you to get up in the morning and pray. He'll wake you up early and, he'll, and then he'll help you to, to, to sustain prayer. One, two hours, whatever it may be, he will help you do that. Pastoral support. When I was ill, I, I felt so weak I couldn't even pray or read the Word with a bit of encouragement from the body. That helped it's not just one thing that led to breakthrough. It was many things. 
two weeks ago, Rachel, obedient to the Spirit, at the end of the service, said to the whole congregation with boldness, does somebody here need prayer? Was it for extreme shyness? Is that what it was? Anyway, does someone here need prayer? Now, extreme shyness, self-consciousness, and fear all fall into the same category of stopping a Christian from doing the Lord's will. And I've suffered from all, and I still do at times. But I felt in my spirit, I am to come forward and be prayed for by the children. That was right. The Holy Spirit witnessed me. Why? Because God loves us. He will tell us, you're to go there. So I went and gratefully received prayer from the little children. It was amazing. And then I received a scripture from Siena. Isaiah 41.10. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. I will uphold you. I will strengthen you. The one I read before. And how true is that? Then all of a sudden, in conjunction with all those things... I woke up and God was sustaining me to pray for one to two hours a day. All of a sudden, God God was telling me exactly where I am to go in that day. I'll just share a few testimonies, or two testimonies. There's quite a few, and I boast in Christ about this, Christ alone. Um, I was to get my hair cut in the barbers. And traditionally, I always found this the most intimidating place to witness. Honestly, it was like my greatest fear. And the Holy Spirit said to me, You're to go to the barbers, you're to witness to all of them, and hand out tracts. So I was like, oh no. (laughs) Just keep it real. So I went and folded up some four points that the Holy Spirit had told me to go and get from Keith and Rachel's office. So I folded up some four points, put them in my wallet, and started to walk towards the barbers. Now at this stage, I was uneasy and apprehensive, and I was like, oh no. But, but I turned to God and I said, God, if this is not from my flesh, is this something that you really want me to do? God obviously wants the gospel preached. Um, I said, give me a witness in my spirit and give me the boldness. I sat getting my haircut feeling very awkward, uneasy until halfway through that haircut, the Holy Spirit fell on me and I had peace and I knew it was, it, it was going to go well. And from that moment onward, I boldly just shared with the barbers that God has called me to be an evangelist. I'm not ashamed of it. God has called me to be an evangelist. And then they said, well, what's that? It's someone who shares the good news. Well, what's the good news? Then all of a sudden, the barbers and all the customers had the gospel. And I stood up very peacefully and gave them all tracks, even the girl that was taking a break. I said, here's here's a gospel tract and walked away. Now, the next part is amazing as well, because when I... When I discern the Holy Spirit speaking to me, I would say I'm only 75% sure it's the Holy Spirit, sometimes only 50%. Yeah, I don't always get it right. I make mistakes. I don't always um, respond to every impulse, witness to this person. I don't, and it grieves me as an evangelist that I miss opportunities. But on the way from the barbers back into Chester, the Holy Spirit sent me into the pub. The, um, yeah, the, what's the pub called? Boovery. The Boovery. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, the Boovery. The Holy Spirit just led me straight in and I shared the gospel with the, um, the pub owner and the landlord who's here today. And I shared it with a, with, a, with, with a customer as well. God give me the boldness to do it. I was unashamed that I used to be an alcoholic. Unashamed that I used to be mentally ill. It was my testimony. That's my testimony. God's give me that deliverance from that. So if you struggle sharing that your weaknesses and flaws, trust me, God can deliver you from that as well. So you are unashamed of your testimony. I shared the gospel with Chris and um, I think you'd been thinking that day about big questions, had you? The day I walked in, he was thinking about these kind of big questions. So, and five days later, over coffee, the Holy, well, the Holy Spirit first told me, meet Chris on Tuesday, a specific day. Meet him. I text you, and he was like, oh, I don't think I can make it. Then he texts back and said, yes, I can. I was like, oh, praise the Lord, because I thought, well, who was I hearing then? And he gave his life to Christ, made the best decision he could ever made. And now he's a Christian. <laughs> praise God. 
praise God. And now I get to see my niece in church. You know, it's like amazing. I'm blown away. I'm in shock of God. And truly amazing. And then the Lord wanted to be sharing another testimony. And the Holy Spirit again told me to go somewhere. Um, and I had no idea why I was going. I went to a park at a certain time and sat there for half an hour thinking, okay, Lord, what's this about? And it's about trust, obviously, trusting God. And I waited and I thought, oh, maybe it's the Lord wants me to rest because I've been witnessing constantly. The Lord has given me boldness to share the gospel with about 40, 50 people in a week. And this isn't on evangelistic mission. This is just day-to-day life where the Holy Spirit says, go there. I go there and to the best of my ability, do it with the grace I'm given, fully dependent on God, only boasting in Christ. I sit, I sat by the river and all of a sudden this guy come along that I'd met previously on the edge mentally, about to hurt himself or hurt someone else. And I got to share the gospel with him, pray with him, comfort him, say, guess what, my friend, I love you. I used to be an alcoholic, mentally ill. I've been on the edge. I've wanted to end it all. There is hope. Hope's got a name. His name is Jesus. And then I left that scenario. And the Holy Spirit said again on a, uh, yeah, was it about a week later? I was down at Nick and Jill's and the Holy Spirit said, go to Sandy Lane Park at half seven. That specific. (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) and I go there. Except this time he gives me a picture in my mind. It'll be him again. And he comes, that guy, that same guy. And I give out a New Testament that was provided by Keith and Rachel and a gospel tract and some church information. And this is what God's doing, I believe, can do through if we fully surrender. I, I, I want to come into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I don't think we're there yet. And, but I think the church is in line with what the Spirit's doing through this book of Acts. I really do. I'm convinced of it. I, I had a sense that me and, Bren were, uh, me and Ben were to pray yesterday and that for healing, wasn't it, Ben? And God healed his back because I thought we need the signs and wonders as well, not for signs and wonders sake, but to prove that Jesus Christ is alive and it separates us from all the other dead religions in the world, you know? So, yeah, so anyway, that's been happening pretty much every day. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's led me to rest and not go, but I just praise God for the work he's doing through me and we're seeking more, more of the Holy Spirit, more of death of self. Yeah, just, just more boldness to proclaim the truth. And I'll just throw this one in as well. My dad became a Christian on Father's Day, you know, and that was, that was awesome as well, you know. So <laughs> I'll leave it there because it's quite a lot, but thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. That is amazing. We, we need to hear these stories. These are for our encouragement of what God is doing in our day. It's not just about, it's not just about what happened in the book of Acts. We are the extension of the book of Acts. We are, you know, there's, a, there's another organization called Acts 29 um, for, for the very reason. The next chapter is us. It's what's happening here. And just to say this, evangelism is um, not just for the, the chosen few. It's not just, okay, well, Dave's good at this, so that's okay. Listen, it's not just about Dave doing this. It's each and every one of us. Now, maybe we don't do it quite the same way as Dave does it, but we need to be listening to the Spirit, to be moving in the things of the Spirit in our daily lives. Listen, this is how we are supposed to function. In the early church, the members were so effective in their witness for Jesus Christ that their church grew from 100 and. 20 to 5,000, like that. Now, can God do that today? Do we believe it? I think so. But it does need some change. 
It does need us really taking grip of the things of God. So my question, I think, as we just pull things a little bit to a close, is what about each and every one of us? What needs to change in your life? What needs to change in my life? What needs to change in our church to see that happen? We want to see growth in our church, but we don't want to see growth just because somebody has left another church because they're not that happy with another church and they've come to our church to try us for a little bit of time and then probably move on in a little bit long after a bit of time again. And that's not what we're after. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see the kingdom of God advance in our day. So what needs to change in your life? Is it God's word? Do you take God's word seriously? Do you believe it? Is, it? is it true for you? It is the truth. But do you, do you take it seriously? Do you understand the authority that is yours in the name of Jesus through the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you understand how much authority you have in Christ? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's living within you. But that often can be very different from what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need more of him in our congregation. We need more of him in our lives. Are we living in unity? Is there issues between us that we need to sort out? The things need to be put right. It may not even be within, it may be with family stuff. It may be stuff going on. Listen, we need to be living together in unity, one with the other. And then we need that boldness. That boldness that we need to get through God, through his spirit, to be willing to give our testimony, to be willing to speak the truth of who Jesus is in our time. Why don't you stand together? I want to pray. Dave, I want to invite you to come up actually and pray for us. Can you, can you do that? God's just touching you at the moment and, and I think it's, you know, there's something about just a, a passing on of, of an anointing of, of what God is, is doing and, and how God is working. Just pray over us as a church. Just pray for that boldness. Pray for, that, for the Holy Spirit to just come and just, just fresh, fresh touch us. Thank you, Lord. Just be ready to receive. Just... Yeah, Father, I pray for us as a body. I pray for us as a people who are totally dependent on you, God, for everything, daily, daily dependent. Father, I pray for us a body would have boldness to surrender all of our lives to, mm. to you, Lord Jesus. Scrap our own agenda and go with you, God. Yeah. Father, I pray you'd fill my brothers and sisters in Christ with the Holy Spirit more and more. Yes. Help them to surrender wounds traumas, disappointments, regrets and unforgiveness. These things block the Holy Spirit. We're to give them all up. Give yeah. them all to Jesus. He can heal. Mm. Yeah. Lord, I pray for a recognition of giftings among us so that we can come into the fullness of what God's got for each individual. Mm. All unique personalities, giftings and different amounts of faith as well, Lord. I pray for a greater unity among us and an interdependence among the body and an overflow of love for one another. But more than anything, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Yes, Lord. Our benchmark is your word, God. 
We are not going to settle for anything less mm -hmm. than what the word says yeah. and what the spirit can do. We raise our expectation levels up to your level, God. We have faith for the impossible that we face in life. We have faith, faith for the absolute impossible, Lord. We believe it in this church. We put all of our trust in you, Lord. May we all glorify you, Father, and your son, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Amen.